All right, welcome to the uh, Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. And we have a very special guest, Holly Howe. And it's Holly, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Uh, it is 91 degrees and sunny. My kids are in the pool behind me making all kinds of noise. So I, I apologize uh, up front, but uh, the kids are making me nuts. I'm sure yours, yours are as well uh, with the pandemic. Uh, how are things in Jacksonville? Uh, also 91 degrees today, very sunny outside. Um, we've got a pretty active homeschooling project going on, um, building a diorama, which is outside of my skill set. I, I can't do fifth grade math. I have, uh, I have failed the fifth grade. I have a PhD and I have failed the fifth grade. So if that makes you feel any better, uh, uh, I, they don't even do long division anymore. It's crazy. Uh, but Holly, uh, thank you so much for being on our, our podcast. We're doing several of these. Um, I hope you're enjoying the, uh, the rainforest, uh, backdrop here. Um, and so we, we really much have five questions for you. And the first one, which always gets everybody off guard cause no one's expecting it is what in the world made you want to be a trial attorney? I was going to be a physical therapist, athletic trainer, physician, lawyer, then psychologist. And now this, what, what was your kind of career path? So believe it or not, I've wanted to be a trial attorney since I was five. Get out um, of here. No, you're wrong. No, you're lying. Stop. No, my first uh, you know, time that I ever said I wanted to be a trial lawyer was when I became addicted to the show Matlock in the 1980s. I used to sit there and watch it, and I wanted to be like Jamie Griffith, you know, protecting innocent clients from going to jail. Um, of course, once I went to law school, I realized I wanted nothing to do with criminal law. I wasn't <laughs> But um, I was always very good at negotiating my punishment as a child. And, um, you know, I love lawyer TV shows, so that's what I wanted to be. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, you and I have talked uh, back channel about because so while so many trials have been postponed, discovery seems to be moving forward uh, with these virtual um, depositions. And I, what I want to ask you was about your experience with the virtual deck, because if you're not sitting next to your client physically, and then you have the technology, can you maybe run us through your experience uh, with these depositions virtually, and maybe the, the pros and the cons and the do's and the don'ts of what you've been through? So I've done probably 15 Zoom depositions during the time that we've been quarantined, and also a number of Zoom mediations. Uh, overall, mine have been pretty successful. As far as defending a deposition there are a few challenges because you're right you can't kick your client under the table and you know there's there's not the body language where you can just kind of like touch his or her arm when they need to stop talking um, however you know, there's additional things to consider such as you know what if your client isn't that adept at technology and so in addition to having the anxiety of being a witness now they've got the anxiety as to whether they can even dial in correctly so we've tried to you know have them test the links and and do some i guess mock zooming just to make sure the technology works for them and then i've scheduled maybe a little bit of extra telephonic prep time and so far knock on wood you know nobody has said anything devastatingly bad in their depositions <laughs> that i've defended um you know as far as taking depositions it's been interesting because i've done a quite a few uh, treating physician doctor depositions and some of the doctors have actually been worse defenders for realizing that I can see you on Zoom being in your house makes it where the witness is taking the deposition less seriously and I've seen that on some of the ones that I've been taking. Good stuff. Tell us a little bit about Wicker Smith and because uh, I mean you're, you're, you're a pretty good sized firm and, and, and you're pretty spread out. What, what, what types of cases are, are, are you guys are handling these days? 
So we are a full service defense firm. We do almost 100% litigation. We do anything from medical malpractice defense to transportation defense. Um, we represent some large companies and then we do a fair amount of work for insurance companies. We also do professional liability um, for architects and engineers. And we even have the uh, pleasure of representing other lawyers when they get sued. Oh, those are my favorite. Cause by the way, who's the worst type of witness? A lawyer. Yeah, the, the lawyers, when they're being <laughs> deposed, I always tell them, you know, if you could just take the advice that you would give yourself, that's easier said than done. Stop, stop being a lawyer. Um, Holly, now this is a completely unfair question, uh, and I don't even know the answer to this. And there's been a couple of uh, blog posts floating around and one article from a competitor, which I really didn't buy because no one really knows. W what is your prediction on how COVID-19 is going to affect jury behavior? I I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, with truck drivers and physicians and healthcare professionals, you know, juries are going to love them going forward. I, I think to an extent that may be true, but, you know, jurors are so, you know, what have you done for me lately? Kind of, where do you see this thing going or is this going to stay the same? So I think it's, it's very hard to predict and it is a completely unfair question, but one of the <laughs> things you. we've seen um, affect the juries from, you know, we see, we call them the nuclear verdicts is yep. a lot of the large plaintiff's firms for, you know, the past five years have just been bombing them with advertisements about how you know, bad the insurance companies are and how bad large corporations are. But yep. in this case, I think the insurance companies may actually get a little bit of positive publicity. I don't know if you saw where, uh, a lot of the large auto carriers cut premiums because there were less drivers on the road or refunded premiums. So I think that actually is an opportunity for the jurors to see, you know, hey, if there's less claims, I will pay less money in premium. So that may be one piece of advertising that affects them. Now, as far as, you know, I, I, like I have some food delivery cases that I've been defending since before the pandemic. So the question is, are they going to like my food delivery company more? I hope so, uh, but I don't know. But I do think they're largely affected by advertising. So perhaps this is an opportunity for defendants to benefit a little bit where the jury can see um, uh, that these companies actually do nice things when they are spending less money on claims. Another uh, excellent point. Um, so reptile theory. So we are 11 years into this and it is not slowing down. Um, have you seen... Again, I mean, what I've seen is uh, the reptile um, methodology is just really multiplying. I don't really see a solid competitor out there. How much of the reptile uh, theory are you seeing in Florida? And what are you advising your clients to do to um, protect themselves from it? So that's something I think you and I have talked about this. This is like a one-hour We gave a speech on this. We, and it was, we did. So, you know, that's something that you have to get ahead of it and prepare your client in deposition. And obviously, if you were representing a large corporate client, you know, they're going to be a target. Um, you can tell the attorneys have gone to these seminars because some of them are more effective than others. But obviously, you know, the being a victim of the reptile theory starts mostly in like a corporate representative deposition. So yes. you have to give them the buzzword questions in advance and not fall into that trap from a deposition standpoint. And, you know, it's one of those things where a boilerplate motion in limine doesn't work in Florida, generally speaking, yeah. on reptiles. So you have to identify some specific behavior that the plaintiff's counsel has done. And then I typically will file a motion in limine with a different title. I don't like to use the word reptile. I like to yeah. identify the specific behaviors that I'm trying to preclude. And I've had more success with that strategy. Do you th I mean, at this point, because I mean, this whole thing started in 2009 with reptile and it's 2020. 
if a defense attorney allows their witness to get reptiled, should they not, like they should just be disbarred yeah. at this point? I mean, right? I mean, come on. Well, I, mean, I wouldn't go that far because sometimes you know you have the best preparation session with your witness, and you get into the deposition and it's like it could be the opposite day, and you know you you kind of want to do what you can. If it's a Zoom deposition, it's even harder. But you know you can leave the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So the defense attorney in this situation where the reptile theory works may have tried to do the appropriate prep. Um, now, if they didn't try and they completely ignored it, then you know, this has been out there for long enough where everybody should be aware of it. So on your cases, um, and again, maybe Florida is different. I know every state is different. Is a anti-reptile motion in limine pretty much standard practice at this point when going to trial? Well, a lot of firms will do them and we have one drafted, but again, I find at least with the judges in my area, they generally in Jacksonville boilerplate motions in limine that are not case specific are just denied. So you have to come up with something that makes it case specific. And we have to either anticipate, you know, or identify something that the plaintiff's counsel has done in this case or another case. Um, I tend to keep closing argument transcripts of some attorneys. And if there's a particular damage model, for example, or a yeah. particular behavior that I see that attorney using over and over again, I'll identify that and say, you know, I anticipate that Mr. X is going to do this because he has done this in these other cases. And, you know, here's the case law that says he shouldn't do that. Got it. Okay. Final question, Holly. Knolls, Gators, Hurricanes, Golden Knights, or other? Um, I would say maybe other, none of the above. I went to a Division three college without a football team, so... Wait, when you live in Florida, you got when I moved to Florida, I was told, not from Pennsylvania, I was told like you are going to pick a Florida team. Um, and I I kind of picked the Hurricanes. If you I mean on that on that football Saturday, who knows where that's going? Who who are you pulling for? You know, I guess being in Jacksonville, I'd probably get bullied into push, pushing for the Gators because it's what 60% of the season ticket holders yeah. live here. So, probably the most popular choice and the safest choice here in Jacksonville. <laughs> hey, safety is the top priority. Absolutely. But I wouldn't say yes. If that question is overly broad and I need a more specific question. Objection sustained. Holly, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Talk to you thank soon. Thank you.